Hello. Welcome and thank you for joining us and listening to our podcast, The God Beyond the Bible. Our podcast is released weekly each Friday. The content of each episode is based on the questions and curiosities we all have about God and the Bible. Many of our topics are considered taboo in the minds of the mainstream church. You will find our discussions to be, I think, refreshing and often far from traditional. But we don't just skirt around these complex issues, but confront them head on, and not in the way you're used to hearing them discussed on typical Christian talk shows. I'm Alan Rowland, creator and host of The God Beyond the Bible. As of the launch of this podcast, I've been a pastor for more than 35 years. My co-host is my daughter, Trayson, and our engineer, co-producer, is my daughter, Tabitha. Our mission is to encourage our audience, along with us, to open our minds to the reality that God is simply too big to be fully explored or experienced by the reading and studying of a single ancient work. In short, the Bible's not the sum of God, and to think this is to limit what He has done, is doing, and what He will do in our future. So with introductions made, thank you for listening, and let's dive into the topic of the day. And welcome to podcast number 76 of God Beyond the Bible, the podcast made by seekers and for seekers. Thanks for choosing to listen. Unlike some podcasts you may be used to listening to, you'll never be asked for financial support in any manner. Your only investment will be the time it takes you to listen. We sincerely hope this little podcast serves as a bright spot in your week. And uh, this is what I like to call a nag-free zone. (laughs) No one's even going to remind you to like or subscribe, though we do like hearing from you. And even if you don't agree with our topic or our point of view on the topic, that's great. How about shout-outs? Our shout-out today is to, I'm going to butcher this name, guys. It's Jovely, J-O-V-E-L-Y. And if I said that wrong, you can message me. I'm really sorry. It may be French. It may be Jovelet. You never know. No, I'm just, I'm, I'm not making I'm fun. I'm terrible at names. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So, Tabby, you want to do our quote for us? Yeah. Our quote this week is from William Arthur Ward, who said, The pessimist complains about the wind, the optimist expects it to change, and the realist adjusts the sails. I like oh, that. Okay. All right. So, last week we talked about spiritual awakening. And we've discovered that there seems to be a great increase in folks stepping back from the traditions of modern religion and seeking out something more personal and rewarding in their relationship with the Most High. I mean, let's face it, folks have grown wise and weary of our modern methods of doing church and religion in general. So jumping right into segment one, the first part, uh, and this is actually a two-part, just a two-part episode, so there'll only be segment one, segment two. So that brings us to today's uh, topic for this two-segment episode. Last year, we released a couple episodes titled The Decline of the Modern Church. And I don't remember which ones. I didn't look to see what numbers they were, but that's what the title is under Right, Tracing? Yes. In which we pointed out many obvious signs that believers are losing confidence in the modern organized church. Of course, the main two indicators being the sharp decline in attendance and the decline in financial support. Yeah, and, you know, we had no idea at the time that within a year of the release of those episodes, we would find ourselves in the situation that we're currently facing, you know, the COVID pandemic and the effect that it has had on the organized religion. What are, and let's just talk about a couple of those yeah. effects so that people will know what we're talking about. What are we, well, from, well, of course, first of all, a lot of people have been out of church for a long time. Mm-hmm. They have. They've and, been doing the virtual, you know, yeah. the ones that's been attending and doing the virtual, and now they're trying to, churches are opening back up, of course, now, but they're not receiving, you know, people are 
for various reasons, I'm not going to go, we talked about that in our virtual church episode, and yeah. I'm not going to go into all the reasons I think that, but I think it's given people a chance to step back. Yeah, well, and I never and would have ma- imagined all of these tiny local churches that we have that have really embraced technology and gone to a Facebook Live service or a YouTube service. And a lot of them are saying, even when they open the doors back, that they intend to continue oh, those sure. online services. Right. Okay, there are those who think a new church will emerge out of the present chaos. I think that wasn't me. I think that, it was, that was Tabby. I think it was Tabitha's turn. Yeah, no, it was Tyson's, but it's okay. Okay, all right, it don't matter. There are those who think a new church will emerge out of the present chaos, not of choice, but of necessity. Now, earlier this year, we did an episode on what we think the role of the virtual church will be and what it might look like. Uh, there are two factions of this speculatively speculative <laughs> debate. I'll get that in a minute. And that is those who desire to preserve the old traditions of the brick-and-mortar church and those who see an opportunity for a church that meets the challenges and needs of this modern age. So today, just over 500 years from the period of the church we call the Great Reformation, that is said to have been set in motion by Martin Luther's famous, or infamous, depending on which side of the issue you were on, (laughs) nailing of his thesis of complaints and errors of the 16th century church on the church door, We want to ask the question, if we are on the brink or in the midst of or at the threshold of another reformation, what would the thesis of complaint and error be? Well, and I'm sure that list could go on a long ways. It, it can. But, it, but we're not here. We, you know, we're going to talk about it. We're not here to criticize. No. Or put down that we're just we're being realistic here Open about discussion. the age. We, yes. yeah, yeah. About the age we live in. So here at God Beyond the Bible, we've kind of put together just such a list. And we've made a list of issues that we believe the church must address if it's going to emerge as a positive influence on individuals and on modern society as a whole. So without further delay, let's dive into our list. And keep in mind, this list is made up of thoughts and ideas that we are hearing from you, the listener, those of believers that we have personal contact with, and our own observations and ideas. These are just ideas and thoughts and opinions. Mm -hmm. Right. So uh, let's begin in no particular order of importance. We'll list our perceived error or complaint we believe the modern organized church needs to address and talk about how the church might be able to address and respond to those issues. And, of course, we're just pretending like we were going to go, we're going to pretend like we're Martin Luther and we're going to nail the theses to the door. Okay, so number one, the Bible has been elevated to the level of the authority or God or of God and is even being substituted for a personal relationship with God. What could the solution be, Tyson? Well, I think that the solution would be that we need to step back and have a more personal relationship with the Most High. And that's going to allow us to discern one of the things that I absolutely hate reading. And I know that's a really strong word, but I do is, well, all the answers you need are in the Bible. You need to just go read your Bible. And as someone who suffers from a mental illness, that is really hard for me when I'm standing back and going, I've read this book cover to cover and I still don't have the answer that you say is there. To today's, yeah. Yeah. So an honest approach might be, you know, looking at how we came to have our modern Bible and its importance Mm -hmm. as a tool, because we do think it is important as a tool in our pursuit, but we need to admit that it's not Not the sum sum of God. God. Exactly. Exactly. Trace, I think you're too. 
So the modern church's promotion of materialism, for the most part. Now this is the second complaint. Yeah. First complaint. Let's let's number these. Is this is this yeah, is number this two? This is complaint is, number two. Yes. The modern church's promotion of materialism. For the most part, the modern church has adopted the Jews' old covenant belief that health and wealth are indicators of God's pleasure and blessing. Well, you'll be surprised at the people that promote that. A lot of the prosperity gospels are, That's you know, the word the I was looking gospel. for when yeah. I was reading this, and it wouldn't come yeah, to me. And, uh, but even people who don't, I mean, it's always God that gives you that. You're, he's either... He's Happy either causing this to happen so that you... <laughs> or you know, he's allowing it yeah, to happen. Yeah, yeah, something, yeah. Okay, well, what would be the reaction of the church talking about this materialism that and the church's the modern church's promotion of materialism? Uh, what would be the reaction of the church if Jesus appeared and said, "There's one thing you lack: sell all that you have and give the proceeds to the poor, and take up your cross and follow me." You mean you wonder how many of us would just kind of hang our head and walk away? Well, I'm talking about the church as a collective yeah. organization. If I mean, how hard would it be for us to absolutely? with all of our material things like some religions do mm-hmm. like some religions believe is very mm-hmm. essential to be uh, minimalist as far as what just what it takes to sure. do what you're the project you're trying to do and let's be honest in the churches even in our small rural churches it's overkill yeah, more exactly. building more luxury than is even thought about being needed Mm -hmm. uh, right now so how does the church correct its perceived alliance with materialism namely the possessions and wealth of the organization itself and this includes the material elevation of the few who are in paid leadership roles of the organization i think it all boils down to we have to stop treating the church like it's a business it's not a corporation or 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 like it's a government operation yes (laughs) true so Number three on our list, the church's unspoken power of sanction. The idea that the organization has the power to decide who's in and who's out on issues like an approved salvation experience, baptism, marriage, social and political issues, etc., etc. And don't you think the church has really retook that role? Now, see, this came and we'll talk about that probably, but this is this is a spillover from the Roman yeah, and the this Reformation. Was a, this was a huge part. This of was Martin the ma- this was Martin Luther's biggest complaint: is yes. that the church, the organization, did not have the power to sanction exactly. uh, anything. I have I have a really fun one for you guys because I didn't realize this until I was doing the research for this podcast. Uh-huh. Have you ever looked up the definition of sanction? Uh, no. no. We use that a lot in mm. ch- the church. Sanctioned a sanction is a threat of retaliation or penalty for disobedience well Well, that's exactly it fits that's exactly it but it's a little harsher term than we probably we We just don't think of a sanction like a nod of the head or yeah that's okay that's not yeah yeah okay and uh, uh, this like the first two are attitudes and traditions as i just said carried over into the protestant movement out of the traditions of the church of the reformation area this attitude that whatever the organization sanctions is the same as God's sanction is evident when the modern church equates the offering plate as giving to God. Yeah, have you ever heard that? Oh yes. yeah. We're giving to God. Now now think about what we're saying, the psychology behind what we're saying when we pass around the offering plate. And I've heard people say, and I'm not criticizing, I've done it myself. We're giving back to God. Yes. Yeah. We're giving to the organization. Mm-hmm. We need to clear we need to be honest and upfront. 
Yeah. And yeah, the organization may do some good things with that money, but that's still, it's not the same. Y'all mean God's not in the back room counting all that up? (laughs) (laughs) We're not writing that check. Okay, so how does the church deal with this misconception that whatever the organization decides on an issue is the same as God's sanction? I think it's going to take care of itself when people take command of their own spirituality yes. and we're not, we don't come together to say, okay, we need to do this, this, and this. We need to get involved in this and this and this. We need to, and, and let's talk about your salvation experience. Well, now that's not what we consider a salvation, you know, we got to stop. Purely, We've got to stop all that. Is that purely ego getting involved that causes people? or do they It's truly- ego, but as we're going to say later, we have plunged so deep into this evangelistic mindset. Yeah. And I mean, that how, we have to convert the way people think to think the way we do, and then we can sanction what they do. Right. Isn't that yeah. pretty well summed yeah, up? Yeah, it does. It does. All right. So number four, religion and science are in direct conflict, which is another unfortunate carryover from the dark ages where the church had authority over all institutions of higher learning and discovery. Mm-hmm. And one of the best examples of this is Galileo being placed under house arrest for the remainder of his life after suggesting that the earth orbited around the sun instead of the church's belief that the earth was the center of the universe and the sun orbited the earth. Now that's rooted in ego. Yes. It is, absolutely, (laughs) that we are the center of all things, but we're taught that early on in our lives Mm -hmm. i've heard multiple people say that the true search for answers through science and or religion will ultimately lead us to the same conclusion if both sides are honest and open in their quest i think probably what the major problem that we have with this is that that you know truth is truth and wherever but we Any have discovery. God's truth. Huh? We have God's truth. I mean, so you hear people say that. That's God's truth. Well, you know, we well, it's like we have truth, no, but then but we no, have this but, elevated. But, but, but no, and I understand, yeah, that's a good point. But truth is just truth. And no, if we I'm look saying. and, and, and if, if an ant crawls across this floor and we say, where is that ant going? Let's follow him and see where mm-hmm. he goes. And that ant crawls outside and he goes in and says, oh, he's going to this big ant hill out here and then for us but but we know that ants don't travel from inside to out we don't believe that we believe exactly. that ants are outside animals so that that that, that no no you yep. we can't accept that and yeah. that's that's I, that's sort of a silly just off the top of my head well, but it, that's kind of the way that we do and uh, we're it's like we're afraid that science is going to discover that we're wrong but guys this goes back to <clears throat> that the bible being the sum of god we try to base all of our Christian scientific theories mm-hmm. on these 66 books that made it into what we that consider are thousands, the modern thousands, Bible. Thousands of years old. Yes, mm-hmm. and they weren't science books to begin with. So, Tracen, since you've got the floor, how does the church address its perceived opposition to science and technology? How do we? How do we? How do we? I think the only way to do it is to sort of let go of that egotistical... I think we have to stop separating it. I do. I mean, I well, think, I think we have to... And I'm talking about... Listen, there's people in religion that aren't true. Mm-hmm. Yes. They're not seeking the truth. No. They're seeking to promote... And there's people in science that are not seeking the truth. They're looking for material gain, mm-hmm. or, gain or something. Mm-hmm. But there are those who truly are seeking... And we're talking about truth seekers here. And I think truth seekers in religion and truth seekers in science are on the same page. Mm-hmm. And I think as it, this thing plays out through genetics and all the things that we're discovering, 
Is this thing in the universe that we're discovering how big the universe mm-hmm. really is? I think all of these things are going to play out and they're going to come to the same conclusion. Well, how often? And it's not going to be it's not going to be an opposing conclusion. No. How often do you hear a true scientist say, <clears throat> you know, coming from an atheistic background, the more I dove into something like quantum physics, mm-hmm. the more I dove into this deep science, the more I realized that somebody is controlling all of well, this. Well, there's design. You'll keep yes. hearing them say there's some design. So in uh, my number five, I kind of jumped in on Tracen's part there. The typical minds, okay, the number five is our fifth complainer on our theses that we're going to nail to the door, the, the virtual door. The typical mindset of the modern church and its emphasis on evangelism that has resulted in a culture of gauging the success of the organization on conversion and membership numbers in place of promoting personal spiritual development and growth. That's a long one, but don't you think that's important? Definitely. Don't you think our evangel that we've just we've become about numbers. We've become about filing this and send this up to the state so that they'll know what we're doing. And you know, I'm gonna be honest with you, there's it really comes down to sending that money up up the line, doesn't mm-hmm. it? I it mean, does. let's just be real brutal and, and just say what it's about. It comes down to sending that I mean, it's not so much about sanctioning what you do. There's 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 groups that get certain things that they get the nod from the church. So, okay, well, go ahead, because they're sending large sums of money mm-hmm. it becomes that the church almost, wouldn't agree with. In other and I've said this <laughs> before, because the more I read this stuff, the more it reminds me. It's become kind of a multi-level marketing. It has. Yeah, I think you said that. Well, in I the can remember a few years ago too. that the Southern Baptist organization had like some kind of I don't even like some kind of saving people drive or something we want to have no, this several, many people it, it was several years ago it was one million baptisms yeah. yeah i was in the pastorate then that was back in the early 2000s late 1990s early 2000s and it's baptized one million this year now it wasn't really if that was just the emphasis we yeah. want to have the numbers that we that the southern baptist baptized one million people and well, i'm thinking and i'm sure the thought behind it I'm was not, but it's yeah. just what one about, of those this is but, something but that's that clear, I can, that's clearly a promotion of just numbers. It though. is. It is. This is something that I can only remember little pieces from when I was small. But I can remember going in churches that had like the cloth banners hanging on the wall that had. We, we actually when we when I was doing yeah. youth at Shady Grove, we actually got several of those banners yeah. for you know attendance uh, and things. How like many that. youth? And yeah, we guys, were taking. That's kind of an egotistical. Well, we well, yes. I mean, every church has that attendance. You know, how many were there yes. this Sunday, last how much Sunday, offering the offering? We got. Most of the time, it's at the front. Right up there where everybody can church. see it, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. So. Okay, so while the numbers look good on an organization's charts and reports, there are those who might say that this cookie cutter or assembly line approach to addressing the people's pursuit of spiritual fulfillment has resulted in many leaving the organization in disappointment when they discover that they're expected to be content to join in the pursuit of new prospects and conversions. Yeah, and that's what it really comes that really yeah. what it comes down to, isn't it? I mean, you get involved yeah. and you you're 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 actually seriously have a <laughs> spiritual pursuit and then you you make a profession of faith or whatever you want to call it that you get involved in the organization and part and then you find out, now wait a minute. All they're wanting me to do is learn how to bring other people in. Mm-hmm. And I've heard it go as far. I was listening to. I'm not a, saying that's all. I'm not being that. Yeah. Cr- but I mean, that seems to be yeah. the highest priority. Let's bring more people. You now we've got so and so. He'd be a good person to get in because he's got a lot of people that he could uh-huh. bring into this organization. I was listening to a sermon a couple <clears throat> of days ago on a podcast, and 
the guy was telling them that the next Sunday he expected every one of them to bring two people with them that didn't go to that church. Hmm. I think it was kind of funny. I'm going to say that. And this, this is a little, little egotistical, but I don't mean it to be that way. But I pastored a church well when I was at Culpeper. And uh, I remember Brother Lewis Minor, and I don't mind to say his name over here. He's a great guy. He's a wonderful mm-hmm, yeah. guy. But, but uh, Lewis liked to come in just to, just before the church preaching started, about just about straight up at 11 o'clock. He like, well, we got to where we were, the building was being full. And he, he couldn't get his seat that he liked. And he met me at the door on more than one occasion and said, now listen. And I don't know if he was serious or not. I mean, I just laughed at it. But he said, we're going to have to limit everybody to not invite more than one person. Oh, I remember that, yeah. <laughs> and I think he was joking. But, but, you know, think about it for a yeah. moment, you know. <laughs> so is the problem connected to the church's belief that it has to sanction one's salvation and commitment as far as the church's emphasis on evangelism gauging the i think maybe it is i think we have to get that person to walk up the aisle or do whatever ritual it is and and i mean i've even heard preachers say i want to know that the people that walk the aisle in my church are committed so i make it as hard for them as i can to have to come forward and and join the church I've heard, man. And I've well, heard, man, I'm I've serious. I'm serious. So he says that that way I know they're committed. I don't get a bunch of these people that are just here today and gone tomorrow. If they go through what I put them through to be a part of the church, then they're going to stay stick it out. Now think about oh that for a goodness. moment. You know that might be all right in a career. Right. That might be yeah. all right if you're hiring drivers for a trucking firm. <laughs> I had a friend who went to a church and they essentially told her that you're not really saved. Because she told them, well, I've prayed with my mom and, you know, I accepted Jesus. They said, well, that's good that you're that far, but you're not really saved until you come up that aisle in church. Well, and I've heard of, of people questioning those who are saved at a young age. I mean, I was seven. There's nothing in me that questions my, yeah, yeah. that moment that I knew that I was, you Well, know. and the thing of it is, you, I'm confident you were a believer before that. I was yes. a believer long before. I was a believer yeah probably 10 years Maybe before I ever made that. Maybe that was my awakening, that yeah. start of that spiritual journey exactly. for me is when I got to that point. Okay, so with that being said, allow us to pause, regroup, and we'll be right back with segment two, which is going to be the second and final part of this two-segment episode. Okay, listeners, today's topic may be perceived by some to be an attack on the church, which it most certainly is not. No, it isn't. We here at God Beyond the Bible have been... That's hair. That's hair. (laughs) My paper. You you would have thought that printer would have caught one of those mistakes and corrected that mistake. I'm sorry. You can start again, honey. For those of y'all that can't see our paper, there's a spelling error. It says H-A-R-E. Yeah, Yeah. we hair... We here at God Beyond the Bible have been saying for more than a year that we believe that we are on the cusp of a modern reformation or a spiritual awakening, or perhaps even the collapse and the reconstruction of what we know as the modern church. And I want to say something right here, a thought that just came to me. Uh, That's why this is going to be different than the Reformation. In the Reformation, the Roman church stayed strong, and it stayed a powerful, and it still is a very powerful, you know, 
Yes. I, I thought, but in the case of just, we well, guys, let's just be honest. If the money dries up, the people, the money dries up, the organization's dried up. Mm-hmm. So what we may have is this may actually be a reconstruction. We may end up now without having to fight the influence. Yeah. Well, and I wanted find to find ourselves in conflict. I should say with the influence of the of the church that's in power. For those who believe that we're you know attacking the church in this, we honestly believe that God's pulling us forward into a new and a better experience sure, with sure. Him and with worship. Yeah. And we're not coming to this from a negative energy no. place. We're coming to this from a positive energy place, and that's what we want to want to put out. So today we're up to number six on a list of things we believe the church will be forced to address. I think it's way overdue yes i think we've i think i think the church is looking back now and realize it's waited way too long to address some of these topics but the church is going to be forced to address if it is to continue to be a positive influence in people's pursuit of the almighty now we're sort of pretending to be modern day martin luther's not even close (laughs) uh, uh and we're pretending that we're preparing to nail our virtual thesis to the church door our first five points were the elevation and substitution of the bible for a personal relationship with god the emphasis on materialism in the modern modern church, number two. Number three, the church's power of sanctioning, uh, or that is deciding who's in and who's out as though their sanctions are God's sanctions. Uh, number four, the impression that religion and science are in conflict. And number five, the building of the organization through the emphasis on evangelism. So that brings us down to number six uh, mm-hmm. since we're up to speed, yeah. Tabby. Okay, so number six. The creation of the idea that it is the duty of the church to promote social reform, engaging in what it calls a culture war, and creating an atmosphere of us against them. And, you know, we all have that tendency to make the world an us against them in everything that we do. And I guess that really goes back to ego of I'm going to be right and you're going to be wrong. No, it, it actually goes to an isolation our lack of connected that we're not connected to them in any way i'm not connected we're breathing the same air we're walking the same planet we're made up of the same materials and and compounds and we think we walk we do all but but they're you know we've it's we're not connected we're not seeing that we're connected to one another and we're connected to every living thing in the universe. we are connected Mm -hmm. to every living thing in the universe by some standard we're connected yes Maybe on a, mon- so, a molecular level. but <laughs> So do you guys think that the church has somewhat defined itself by who and what it's against? And, I mean, is this a carryover from the first Reformation? Well, it is because, let's just be honest, in the Dark Ages, it was about what the church was against, what it would yeah, not tolerate. Mm-hmm. Most of their meetings that they had, are we going to tolerate that? We're not going to tolerate What are we going to do to stop the, you know, this, you know? Uh, well, hasn't this made us somewhat intolerant of anyone who doesn't agree or think exactly like we do? Absolutely. I don't think you have to look very far to see intolerance Mm -hmm. at all. Is there a path for the modern church to re-image itself, or will such an attempt threaten a further fracture in its base, as is currently happening in the Southern Baptist right now as it attempts to soften it's hard line on many social issues. And I didn't know they were doing that until I talked to a friend of mine that's involved with them and just the other day, and that's why I put that in there. I didn't know this was going, because I don't keep up. I'm not, right. I'm not the monitor. Sure. I'm not the monitor of what all's going on in the, in the, in the religious, you know, Christian religious right. circles. But he said that one of the things that they're doing, because they're just like a, they're just, they're, they're like a corporate. Mm-hmm. I mean, they make the rules up at the top. Yes. And then they send the rules down. And what they've done is sent the churches a deal that they want to soften their line on homosexuality. They want to soften their mm-hmm. line. You know, 
don't make the, and I kind of, in a way, I hate to say this, I agree with them a little bit. Don't make the Bible say things it doesn't really, you know, mm-hmm. that, that if it doesn't strictly say it, don't don't make it say something that it doesn't say and and this is causing a fracture in fact i know of one big church in our area that's withdrawing its financial support from the southern baptist because well, of this issue because they want to soften the line on to see social will, moral I issues i will say this no matter which line you stand on in this discussion of you know with the southern baptist you can't hammer something into someone's mind for 20 something years that this is what God says and this is how it is and then come back and go well you know what we're not really going to believe that and expect everyone to just well you're going to fracture the, yeah. you're going to certainly fracture the organization uh, and let's be honest and here's my a little bit of a cynical side and, and I'm working on this but you know uh, they may be kind of looking for new prospects too well, that was kind of my question. I was, I was wondering, is it because there are more that there's a shift in the is that there's being a shift in the way they believe? Yes, or, or is, is it a, a financial? Yeah. You know, you never know. But it could be a little bit. But of both. it's going to play both ways because this is going to cost. Yes. If yes. they promote this, this is probably going to cost them a lot of people. The old timers are going to. But I think. The psychology may be in, but I just have to look at them like they're looking at it as a business and they're thinking, okay, we may lose the old hands. But we're going to lose them anyway. Yeah. 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 To death. Eventually, yes. <laughs> we're going to lose the old hands. And so, you know, the old members, so we could bring in a lot of new nem- members, yeah. younger. We could mm-hmm. get reach the younger. And it, it may not even be that. Maybe this is what, maybe they've got the wrong motive and it may work in the right way. I don't know. Maybe. I don't Who know. Knows? All right. Our number seven complaint, Tracen. All right, the church, the church is ignoring the spiritual benefits of exposing and dealing with our ego, possibly even promoting its mission by appealing to man's ego. I mean, let's be honest. If ego is our perception of who we are through other people's eyes, aren't we guilty of promoting that false perception at almost every turn in the modern, modern church? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tradition urges us to wear our best clothes put on our best smile, drive our best car, Wash it put too. forth our best Christian <laughs> persona, etc. Yeah. And and think about that. That's all. Doesn't that, am I mixing this up or is that not feeding our ego? Is that not promoting ego? I will never forget having a woman tell me one time that, because I was always the wear blue jeans to Casual, church. Yeah. I was, yeah. yeah. And she told me that not wearing a dress to church was just showing God how unimportant he was in my life. Isn't it funny how are we even uh, are we even guilty of exploiting the ego to raise money and promote building projects and such when we praise those who make large contributions, hang their names on. I started the- to say we're going to put your name <laughs> on a plaque and yeah. everybody will know. Okay. OK, so our complaint number eight, the emotional and psychological effects of the church's promotion of guilt and shame. And this is a huge one for me. The idea that we are a failed experiment by the Creator and that it is humanity's fault that the experiment is a failure and God is taking out His displeasure on humanity for all eternity. And 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 then turn around and write an article entitled, Why Are So Many Christians Depressed? Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it's true and you don't even realize that it's ingrained in you that you are unworthy. You are nothing 
in yeah. the Christian yeah, you're religion. You, I didn't. And, and it took I, me years to realize that that's where the low self esteem yes. stemmed God from. God can't stand to look at you. He can only look you at just, you if He's really looking at His son. You are just a nasty mess to Him, and and He has to look at you through Jesus to even have any kind of compassion for you. And so, what do we have to do? We have to strive. We have to try. We have to do everything. And it's never in good enough. And it's never good enough. Exactly. So I think we've already answered this, but is there a lot of guilt and shame associated with Christian culture? Yeah. And how will the church deal with this important issue? And I know that this is one that we haven't really brought up here, but Tabby and I grew up kind of at the height of the church's purity culture. Mm -hmm. And now you're seeing that sort of fracture and fall apart because it really gave some really poor ideas. Yeah. As far as a healthy sexual relationship with a spouse. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, but you guys, but you guys really didn't grow we up at the height of the. Neither did I. It was a generation before me because I can remember my grandmother. I read some records of the church that she went to, yeah. and she was expelled from the church. She was asked to leave. She either had to come before the church and make an apology, or she had to leave because she attended a dance. Uh huh. Oh my goodness. But, you know, and, and wondering how the church can deal with this. I mean, what are some ideas do you guys have? Do you know? I mean, one, I think, is stop telling us that we're nothing. We are. We're in his it? image. Yes, we're his. If we're in Jesus' in, in Christ's image, how can that be a bad thing? Paul said, you are God's masterpiece. Now, what is your masterpiece? If you're if you're creating art, the what is your masterpiece? The best. It's what you think is your very best work you've ever done. But are you hearing that message? No. Not very much. We're hearing a lot of guilt and shame getting mm-hmm. thrown around because let's be honest. Yeah. Let's be honest with, with, with ourselves. Guilt and shame is a leverage to get people to do what we want them to do. It is. It if is. I can make you feel bad. Manipulation. Yeah, yes. It's a. All right. So number nine, what about the church's claim that it speaks for God? When we have thousands of groups of people under the Christian title who are often saying very different things, yet all claiming that they're speaking for God. I think that's something that we need to just stop doing. Yeah. yeah. I Definitely. think we need to stop talking like we know what God wants. Well, in this... Because this I don't think we've got a clue. I think we have so fogged this issue up so much that we're not even really... Well, we're just not really sure about the character well, of God to begin with. Other than love, well, I mean, yeah, really, what do we know? And let's be realistic. Oftentimes... I know what God expects for me in a situation, mm-hmm. but if you were in the exact same situation, I couldn't guarantee you God would want the same from you. Nope. And we're going to warn you, this is going to run a little over 30 minutes, but that's yeah. all right. Is the church seeking to discover and promote the true character of God, or are we promoting a characterization of God that promotes our personal and organizational ambitions? And that's a tough question, mm-hmm. but I don't think we're seeking to discover anything new about God. No. Because every, As a church, I'm talking about the church of organization. Right, right. I don't think we're, I think, in fact, we're resisting anything new about mm-hmm. God. Because you we've know, got it all figured out. We've got it in I a box. Agree. We've got this box, and we like it in a nice, tidy box that we always know what God's doing. Okay, complaint number 10. Let's talk about the church's tendency to promote a belief that God is against the progress of humanity. Oh, yeah. There seems to be this consistent message that God wants humanity to reject progress and look for him in some primitive era of time. While those who seem to be promoting this image of God are using the very technology to their maximum advantage. Isn't that the most hypocritical yeah. thing? 
I mean, yes. Well, and it's that we, idea. We array of, along genetics. Oh, there's this genetic study. They're playing God. But let me tell you, I know Christian people that have went for genetic scans and had major surgeries done. Because of what that... Thought they were going to get some kind of cancer or something and have major uh, things done. That, what about couples, and there's nothing wrong with it, who do IVF and all of yeah. the different... And that's purely through technology and through yes. the things it, that it, we've discovered. It, it surely is. Well, yeah. and there are... No, we won't go there. <laughs> <laughs> so, as in the case of Galileo, it only took the church about 300 years to acknowledge the fact that the church and other planets earth. do... The earth? The earth and other planets. I didn't know what she said. She said church. Oh, okay. Okay, Let's start that again. again. (laughs) As in the case of Galileo, it only took the church around 300 years to acknowledge the fact that the earth and other planets do revolve around the sun. And at that time, they exonerated Galileo of the charge of heresy after he had spent the remainder of his life under house arrest and had been dead about 300 years. At least they didn't dig up his bones and crush them and burn them, you know. (laughs) This is true. (laughs) So... How will the church come to relax its stance on the primitive God image? Can well, we? Is there I a path? Is there be, a path that we can really, or is it just going to be a total collapse and emerge out of the ashes something totally new? I mean, can we? Can we turn that? When we have around, I don't know. I really. When don't. we have dozens of denominations that actually have primitive in their denomination title yeah, the primitive yeah. baptist the primitive yeah yeah the prim- primitive universalists it's really hard to decide if this is going to have to be a phoenix rising sort of situation right. it may be number 11 how will the church overcome the plague of the collective ego of its constituents of generation after generation believing that they are the only ones who got it right and any attempts to improve on or change the way they do it is heretical. And that's what the, and that's what the Southern Baptists are facing right now. Mm-hmm. Like Tracen said, it's not just 20 years, 75 years yes. of this position taking these hardline positions and then suddenly softening them li- those them lines them lines <laughs> golly suddenly softening those lines uh will you know it, the people that have been sitting 50 years with this mindset are saying yes. no no because i heard a guy listen i know a guy a friend of mine that he was catholic and you know why he left the catholic church because the catholic church quit doing mass in latin and they started doing, doing it in, in english, english. And he said, that's, that's, that's too much change. Uh-huh. Hmm. Even though he don't know a lick of Latin. <laughs> right, but he, that's how it's always been done. Mm-hmm. Tradition. All right, so let's face it. There is this deeply rooted conviction of the church community that change is bad. Yeah, I've, I've only run up against that a few times. Yeah, yeah. Just a few. <laughs> Any break from tradition must only occur from a corporate decision handed down from those who govern the masses of the organization and any attempts to challenge this process will be quickly and forcefully put down by the generation in charge. And that's very true. And the final one, number 12, uh, if we're going to nail our complaint, this will need to be on there. The implied idea that the only way God can be approached is through the modern institution we call church, and that a collapse of the institution spells the end of the God-man relationship. I mean, we've got this idea that everybody's against the church. Oh, mm-hmm. This is a this is a folks. This is not an organized attack. You know what? The people out there that are atheists, they don't care. No. 
they don't care. The people out there that are something else or that are, they don't care. But we've got this idea that we've got it right, and we're the only ones that's got it right. And if this institution, if we stop doing it the way we're doing it, then uh, excuse the expression, but it's all going to hell in a handbasket. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, the greatest impasse the church faces is that it has elevated itself as mediator between man and God. And to promote personal spiritual development and growth aside from this governing body will result in its own demise. Yeah, we, we, it's, it's the old painted yourself yeah. into a corner thing mm-hmm. here. Uh, you know, I, I just don't know how this is going to work. Let's just, we'll just, we'll just split up the final yeah. conclusion. So here. let's conclude with some options that the church has to meet the challenges of the day. And before we start the conclusion, I wanted to add in here with all of the discussions of disagreement mm-hmm. and stuff that we've had. Um, my favorite quote from Eckhart Tolle is theologians may quarrel, but the spiritualists of the world speak the same language. And I think that that yes. is going to be the only real salvation to church. Yeah. And I want to say something about Eckhart Tolle. I'll tell you what I love about him. I love that when he's asked a question, he's silent. Mm-hmm. When someone asks him a question, and you can tell he's thinking of it. Now, the thing I have difficulty with him is, is often he goes to such a high level trying to answer that question. I need him to dumb it down yeah, a little. Yeah, it's like yeah. it's it's kind of like the old boy said, aim low, Sheriff, he's riding a Shetland. I mean, <laughs> yeah, sometimes. Yeah, it has to, it's a way over my head you can because he's at, a, he's at a place far beyond, yes. you know, where I am. All right, so you go ahead there. Okay, the most popular idea among those in the hierarchy of the, uh, the organization today is to dig in and double down on tradition. Yep. You'll hear that all the time. Uh, the way this seems to be, being accomplished is to promote the us against them mentality we're back to that in other words to promote the modern challenges as an attack and persecution of the only people who god cares about and the only people who are pleasing god mm-hmm. uh, they claim that everything is a conspiracy against them therefore it is a conspiracy to do away with do you know, it's all it's all in a conspiracy to do away with god himself yeah, right. the problem is about 80 percent of americans say they believe in god while less than 15% are involved in organized religion. So a belief in God is not really the problem, is it? Doesn't sound like it. (laughs) The question is, can the church reform? With the emotionally charged atmosphere of who's right and who's wrong creating an internal turmoil, every time any organization attempts to advance and change, it faces a split from within. If a person does their homework, it's easy to see that the reform of Martin Luther's day was mostly identified as a break from the Roman Catholic establishment. However, most of the true problems of power, money, control, and sanctions were gradually readopted into the fragments of the reformed groups who had nothing else to base their collective endeavors on except the way the Roman church did it. So perhaps the only way we will ever see true reform is a total collapse of the organized system and a return of the power of the individual to be able to pursue, develop, and maintain a personal relationship with the Most High on their own personal term and experience with Him. And let me, before we, I read this very last part, let me say, we, we have uh, become, uh, the organization has become a stagnator of spirituality. Yes. Mm-hmm. Get you the evangelistic approach. We get you in here, get you in, get you all, you know, you're getting all you're getting all the attention, you're getting all pumped up, and then suddenly we get you in. Okay, let's go over here. Joe's over here. Let's go over here. Yes. I know a guy uh-huh. down. Let's go get and suddenly you're thinking, Well, wait a minute. 
And we actually don't know how in the modern church to promote personal spirituality. We, don't, we have no clue. And, don't and, and, no, trust, and maybe don't have a desire. Well, and don't ever trust that still small voice within you. Yeah, well, we're told that all the time. Yeah, you, yeah. Can't, you can't trust that voice. I have to tell you. If that's I'll, really the yeah, voice of there. God. Well, let's end with a lesson from the Master himself. There will come a time, and the time is now, when those who seek to know the Father will seek him out, out in spirit and in truth. This is the true worship he desires. May God's grace, peace, and love be on, in, and radiate out from each of you, our fellow seekers, from all of us here at God Beyond the Bible. Did you enjoy listening to God Beyond the Bible? Do you have an idea for an episode? Connect with us today. Visit our website at godbeyondthebible.com, all one word, or send us an email at email at godbeyondthebible.com, or you can visit us on Facebook. Just type God Beyond the Bible into the search bar.